things and and doing physical exercise between the mental exercises that we were doing at seminary. Um, and uh, Dave has been, uh, it was just noted um, from, the, from the very beginning as I met him that he was a faithful man in the word and a student of the word. Uh, and uh, the fruit of his ministry of, over these many years has been a, a tremendous encouragement and blessing and I'm so thankful that uh, he was coming through. He's, he was been doing some ministry. Maybe he'll tell you these things. Maybe I'm stealing his thunder here. I don't know. Um, but he's been in Mexico, uh, Nuevo Laredo, and uh, uh, sharing and teaching with another man there and going into different churches. Uh, he's traveled uh, in the former Soviet Union, was in Eurasia for a number of years as a missionary. Uh, he ministers in Africa, teaches there, Pakistan, uh, South America, uh, Mexico. Uh, he's just a, a, a real uh, blessing to the Lord, and I'm very grateful for his, to have his friendship and, and to be able to share um, that friendship that I have with the body of Christ here, and I know that you'll love him and, and uh, be encouraged by his message for you this morning. So. Uh, Dave, if you'll come. It is a great privilege to be with you this morning, and I was very happy to hear about your new outreach starting next week. Because if I got a message for you, this message was not actually created by me. Some of you have undoubtedly seen the Navigator's spiritual wheel illustration. It's not a difficult concept, but I've given this message in many different countries. And for those who have never seen this illustration or understood it, it is an unbelievable blessing to them. It actually surprises me how it touches so many people. All I've really done is provide the illustrations and some explanation from the scripture. But the original uh, points are from the navigators. I don't have it on an overhead, but you may use your sanctified imaginations. I know Texas has some very fine imaginations. You're not as boring as we Minnesotans, but that's because our brains are frozen by the snow most of the year. So imagine this wheel, an old-fashioned wagon wheel. It's got four spokes, it has an outside rim, and it has the center. The four spokes, I'm going to give all of it to you right away so you have an idea what's coming up, but it's prayer, the Bible, fellowship, Witnessing, the outside rim is, oh, it's a nasty word. I don't really want to say it too badly, but obedience. It was going so well until I said obedience, wasn't it? Don't worry, it's not the only nasty word I'm going to tell you. And the center is Christ, Christ the center. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture, just one passage on each point. 
But there are many passages we could use. <clears throat> but before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your marvelous grace. We thank you for this, this basic illustration that someone else came up with, and we're going to learn it today for those of us who do not know it. Help us to use this. It's designed to be used by anybody to instruct those who don't know. It's just ideal for discipleship. So bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jim, I just realized we've known each other for 35 years. And 35 out of 42 years for me is really pretty good. And if your people believe I'm only 42, man, oh, live, have you got them snowed. I'm 63, not 42. But we're going to talk about the wheel illustration. And I'm going to start out with prayer. The passage I have selected is really about a number of things. It's not just about prayer, but it's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Now, if I have some uncomfortable silences up here, it's because I'm waiting for the interpreter because I almost always speak through an interpreter. I'll try to remember you all speak English. That's the only thing I speak, so I might as well use it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. He's got to be kidding. Well, we'll talk about that. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. It's a phenomenal passage. It really summarizes how to walk the Christian walk all by itself. But we're going to go through just a few points. I'll talk about prayer eventually, but I'm going to mention a few other points first. It says, Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Oh, you are listening. That is such an encouraging beginning. Rejoice in the Lord always. He repeats it. Again, I say, Rejoice. Have you ever read 2 Corinthians chapter? 11 and 12, where Paul talks about his sufferings. Man, 2 Corinthians is a great book if you're discouraged. So is the book of Job, and so is the book of Jeremiah. So if you feel down, remember others did too, but Paul still rejoiced, not in his circumstances, but in the Lord. And that's the huge difference between we as believers and unbelievers. We can rejoice in the Lord. We don't rejoice in happiness, in success, 
and circumstances, yes, it's nice to be successful. But the key to Christian living is to rejoice in the Lord. He goes on. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. He's not far away from you. He's in our midst right now. He's in your heart if you are a believer. He is everywhere. We just have to seek him out. We have to talk to him. He is with you. He is not with the believer, unbeliever. Now, he wants to be with the unbeliever, but he isn't in the same way he is with you. Be anxious for nothing. Now, I wanted to give you a little secret. The Apostle Paul wrote this, and he was anxious about a lot of things. He couldn't keep this himself. Of course, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. We all get anxious, but we're not supposed to be anxious. However, we tend to forget that the Lord is at hand. We forget that we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord, and then we get anxious about things. But when we remember the Lord, and when we do the follow-up, as he says, and everything by prayer and supplication, with complaining, let your requests be made known to the Lord. Oh, thanksgiving, that's what it said. Is that how you generally play, pray? Unfortunately, many of us don't, do we? We complain about this or that, and Lord, I need this, I need that. I know I need this A to survive for the rest of my life in school. If I don't get this A, or if I don't get this date with that girl, life is not worth living Oh, man, we can find a lot of things to complain about. How much better it is to be thankful. I had a wonderful friend. He was quite a lot older than me. He died when he was about—he was almost 100 years old. But as I would ask anybody, I'd say, how are you doing today? And he always answered the same way, I'm thankful. I never forgot that. And I always want to be thankful. So rejoice in the Lord. Pray with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And you will experience the peace of God. Others can panic. You watch the news. I don't even bother watching the news much anymore. It's all bad. But we can have the peace of God in spite of all of the things that happen. It's something that we should reflect upon every day. And then he talks about meditating on the right things. How many wrong things are there to meditate on? They're everywhere. What is the right thing? You probably all have a copy of it. The Bible. Think about the Bible. Think about the men and women in the Bible. And God will bless you. Now I need to talk about prayer a little bit. After all, that is our first point. I'm going to give you an illustration on almost all of the points. Now, I said you can replicate this. You can tell it to other people, and you can, and I hope you do. And so with every point, every principle, I will give you a little story. You are free to use my stories as much as you want. They're very good stories, generally speaking. At least I like to think they are. I'd like to tell you about a man named George Mueller, and it's possible your pastor has already told you about George Mueller, but 
I think many of you have heard of him at least. But George Mueller, who was a very vibrant Christian and a man of prayer, said one day he had three unbelieving friends that he wanted to pray for. And he was going to commit to pray for them every day until they became believers. Until they died or until he died. But he was not going to quit praying for them. And so he started to pray for his three friends. Five years passed, and the first one became a believer. Have you prayed for anybody every day for five years? Some of you have. And he said, well, praise the Lord, two more to go. He continued to pray. Approximately 25 years later, the second one became a believer. George Mueller says, hallelujah, one to go. And one day, another Christian friend came up to George Mueller and said, you will never believe what happened, but your third friend became a believer today. And George Mueller got a big smile on his face and said, thank the Lord, it is about time. I have been praying for him every day for 52 years. That's a long time. I don't think your pastor's that old. 52 years. Have you ever done that? Now, some of you probably have. You're praying for family members and other people. Keep up your prayers. It is not a guarantee that they will become believers. Nobody can make such a guarantee. But it does honor God that you are faithfully praying. You will never disappoint God by praying to him, but you will disappoint him by not praying to him. So we want to be faithful in our prayer. The second point is the Bible. We're going to turn to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. We are to meditate in God's word. Well, how do we do that exactly? You can go to church and listen to a sermon. You can have a Bible study with somebody else. You can read the Bible by yourself. And I recommend you read through the Bible through every year. I have a Bible reading program I use. Otherwise, I wouldn't get through the Bible every year. I don't recommend that you read Genesis straight through to Revelation because you get to the book of Leviticus. And as Orphan Annie would say, most of you don't remember Orphan Annie's, but a few of you do. Leap and lizards? What does this mean? Well, Leviticus is confusing. You got the feasts and you got all the sacrifices. So what I do is I read in three places at once. I start in Genesis and halfway through the Old Testament is Ezra. And then in Matthew and in the New Testament, I skip around. I don't read it straight through. I read Matthew, then I go to Acts, then I go back to Mark, then I go to Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So you don't read the Gospels all through in the first couple of months of the year, and then you're out of them. 
So it's easy to do that, but it gives you a much fuller presentation of the Bible in the sense you're always going to be in some passage that will be understandable. I recognize when you get to the prophets, it gets a little hairy, and sometimes you have no clue. We were studying Zechariah this morning. That's a hard book, but the Bible is what we want to study. Now, children, I want you to not listen at this point because I'm going to use a bad word. So don't listen. That's right. Cover up their ears. I just love to watch them because they all lean forward. <laughs> and so do the adults. They want to hear the preacher's bad word. Well, here it is. It's related to the Bible. It's hard for me to even say it. Memorize. Oh, it was going so nicely until now. Memorize. I don't like memorizing. I don't care if you don't like it, do it anyway. It's actually the greatest thing for learning God's word. And it will touch your heart more than anything else. And I know what some of you are thinking. They're saying, oh, that's easy for you to say, but I can't memorize. Oh, well, I'm going to take away your excuse this morning. You're going to regret that you ever came to church today. <laughs> so there was a young man who really could not memorize. He had a problem with his mind, and he desperately wanted to memorize. He was a young Christian, but he couldn't. That contrasts that with another young man I knew in Latvia when I was a missionary there. Latvian was his first language. Russian was his second language. English is his third language. And I challenged him to memorize several verses one week. He came back the next week. He had memorized 50 of them. And he got them word perfect. Now, how many people can do that? Very, very few. But he was a very exceptional individual. We're not all going to be like that. But this, and this young man whom I'm referring to in my story could not memorize. So he came to an elder in the church with his very unfortunate story that he couldn't memorize. And he asked him, well, what can I do? And the elder did not know what to say immediately. He said, well, let me think about this for a little bit. And then the elder, after a minute, pointed to an empty water pitcher. And he said, would you take that empty water pitcher and fill it up with water, please? And the young man did so. Then the elder said, pour it out. Okay, now fill it up a second time. So he fills it up a second time. He doesn't know why. The elder says, pour it out. So he pours it out a second time. Then the elder said, wipe it dry with a towel. And he obeys, he wipes it dry. And then the elder asked the young man, what is the difference between the water pitcher now and when you first came into my house? Now the young man had to think a little bit and he finally got a smile on his face and he said, well, it's cleaner. And the elder said that exactly. And even though you cannot memorize scripture, you are cleaning your heart in the process of trying. And that is what it does for you. Some people are very gifted at memorizing. It was very easy for me when I was younger. 
It's not so easy anymore. I don't know why that is happening. Maybe Jim can explain it to me later. But it's a fantastic way. So try to memorize. And that's the best way to meditate on God's word. In India and other places, they try to meditate by emptying their minds. That's no meditation. Or they reflect over some stupid moronic sentence. We meditate by memorizing God's word and studying it. Our third point is fellowship. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. And you are applying this principle right now. And it says in verse 24 and 25 of Hebrews 10, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. That day is referring to Christ's return. He says, let's stir up one another to love and good works. We need each other. We need the encouragement of each other. The body of Christ, or I should say the church, is compared to a physical body. Now let me ask you a question. Which part of your body would you happily sacrifice this morning just before you walk out the door? Anybody want to volunteer for sacrificing part of their body parts? I doubt it. But I have lost two of my parts. I lost my right leg and I lost the big foot. I mean, my big toe on my foot. Now, I'm not saying that to make you feel sorry for me. I don't want your pity. I want your recognition that you are part of the body of Christ and you are important. Every single one of you plays a part. You may not even know what that part is. But God has given all of you spiritual gifts. If you are a believer, you have a spiritual gift. All you have to do is discover it. Well, how do I discover it? Do something. It's that simple. I mean, you can pray about it, but you go out and do something. I learned long ago, playing the piano is not my spiritual gift. And if I didn't know that, everybody else did. I'm more of a mouth. Maybe you're more of an eye or a foot or whatever you are, God wants to use you. I did the first funeral I ever did was in my home church. And in a sense, I was thankful for the woman who died because she was the only woman I didn't really have a personal relationship with. She was not a very outgoing person. She had a fantastic husband, but she was just a very quiet person. I'm not saying she was ornery. She just was very, very quiet. And so I did the funeral, and it went well. And a lady who was in charge of the lunches, and I'd known her since I was six years old, she said, for whatever reason, we got started talking about spiritual gifts, and she said, I don't have any spiritual gifts. And I said, yes, you do. And she said, no, I don't. And I said, yes, you do. And she said, no, you don't. We were having an argument is what we were having. And so I suggested this. I said, okay, if we have another funeral in the church, I tell you what, you write the funeral sermon and you give it and I will be the overseer for the lunch. What do you think of that? She started to laugh. 
I said, I don't think that'd go very well. And I said, I don't think it would either. And I said, do you realize you have the gift of helps? Oh, anybody can prepare the lunch. I said, well, you didn't think I could. <laughs> and she was actually a cook. Yes, it was easy for her to do that and to arrange it. But it would be misery for me to do it. And it would certainly be misery for the other ladies who were listening to my directions. But we all have something. But we all need to be in fellowship one with another. And we express those gifts in our fellowship. Now, there was a man one day who didn't really want to have fellowship at the church. And he was in a really grouchy mood. And he told his wife in no uncertain terms, I'm not going to church today. And his wife was shocked because he always went to church. And she said, well, why don't you want to go to church? Oh, there are some people there who don't like me, and there are some people there I don't like either. Give me three reasons why I should go to church. Men, if you are not married, you have not discovered you can never say something like that to your wife. God did not just give them brains. He gave them computers that are highly functional. And even though they may never have thought of this question, they will have three reasons just like that. And this woman was no exceptional. I was hoping I'd get an amen out of that comment somewhere. This woman was not an exception, and so she gave three reasons right away. She said, number one, you have always gone to church. You shouldn't break that habit now. It's a little later in your life. You should continue. Number two, I think really there are some people who might miss you if you don't come. They, they would know you're not there. And number three, you're the pastor of the church. <laughs> and having been a pastor for 17 years, I can understand that. All of us need one another, and the less you want to go to church, the more you obviously need it. It doesn't mean you're always going to be thrilled with the message. It doesn't mean the singing's always going to do. Just light a fire in your heart. But we still need to help one another, and we need to encourage one another. God has called us to that. So number four, point number four. We're going to have a little review session after this point. This is one of those difficult words... So be careful. I'm glad you're all sitting down. Point number four is evangelism. Oh, well, now this church is very good at evangelism. You're doing missions, and I commend you for that. But I don't know how to do evangelism. I mean, there are people who ask these miserable questions. I can't answer them. So let's just skip this point. Oh, forget that. I'm paid big bucks to be here today. Well, actually, I'm getting a free lunch is all I get. But evangelism is very essential. Do you know why the Dead Sea is dead? It's because it has inflow, but it has no outflow, only through evaporation. There's no circulation. You can do the first three points. You can pray, you can have the Bible and study it, you can w have fellowship, but if you don't do evangelism, you eventually bloat up like a whale. You need 
to be sharing your faith. But let's go back to this original problem that you don't know how to do evangelism. <laughs> I got a surprise for you. I'm going to take away your excuse for not doing evangelism. Boy, oh boy, this is a memorable day in your life. I'm going to give you the simplest way to do evangelism I have ever heard. Actually, I didn't hear it. I made it up myself. It's found in John chapter 9. And Jesus heals the blind man. He'd been blind since he had been born. He's healed by Jesus. Now, the blind man didn't know much about Jesus because he was blind and he just didn't get to hear all the news. But at any rate, now he can see and his the religious rulers were interviewing him, asking him all kinds of questions, and they wouldn't listen to his answers because, of course, they hated Jesus. And finally, John 9.25 states this. He answered and said, referring to the blind man, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Now, what does that have to do with evangelism? I'm going to give you an additional thought based on this verse. Can you say this? One thing I know, I was an unforgiven sinner. Now I am a forgiven sinner. And then ask whoever you're talking to this question. Are you a forgiven sinner? They will never Forget that question as long as they live. The Holy Spirit won't let them. Nobody wants to die unforgiven. And I know you can say it because you're all going to say it right now to one another, to whoever you're sitting by, or if you're not sitting by somebody, the nearest person. So let's repeat what I say. One thing I know. My hearing aids are not functioning so well. So could you repeat that, please? One thing I know. There we go. There's a woman who respects a hearing aid if I've ever seen it. I was an unforgiven sinner. Now I'm a forgiven sinner. Are you a forgiven sinner? Now, you may think I'm exaggerating that this really does work. I'm not. The guy that discipled me in the Navigators was led to Christ exactly this same way. He was at a racetrack, of all things, and some Christian came up to him and started sharing. Well, he couldn't hear the guy. He's trying to watch the race. He's getting irritated by this Christian who keeps bugging him with words that he can't even hear. But he did hear one final statement. I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. Do you know where you're going? That's all he heard. And it started him on the walk. Now let me ask you a theological question. I would assume that your illustrious pastor has taught you this very well. Is the church responsible to win people to Christ? Yes or no? Oh, some of you are more clever than others. The answer is no. Why would I say that? Because the Bible says, Apollos planted the seed, 
I pardon me, Paul planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but who gives the increase? God gives the increase. So when you're doing evangelism, I'm going to give you one word of consolation. Relax. It is not your responsibility to actually lead someone to faith in Christ. Now, you may be privileged to do that, but it isn't because you're so persuasive. It's because the Holy Spirit did it. He happened to use you. But we are only really responsible to share the gospel. So don't worry if people don't respond. I mean, how many times do some people hear the gospel before they respond? Maybe dozens of times. And so we are responsible to share, but we're not responsible to lead people to faith. Okay, those are four points. Let's review our four points. Number one, prayer. It wasn't a very exciting point, but at least you got it. Number two, the Bible. I must be preaching a little too long here. Number three, fellowship. Number four, Evangelism. Now we come to the worst word of all. This is the rim. Kids, you're going to wish you hadn't come today when I tell you this one. Obedience. Oh, you like that word. Well, sometimes you like the word. Obedience. Now, if we do the first four principles... Prayer, the Bible, fellowship, witnessing, but we're not obedient. And I'm not referring to perfection because none of us can be perfect at all except through Christ. But let's look at John chapter 14, verse 21. John 14, 21 states this. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We need to be showing our love through our obedience. Now again, nobody can be perfectly obedient. Why is that? That's because we have two natures. We have an old nature and a new nature. The new nature does not sin. In fact, it's not capable of sin. But the old nature, which we retain until we die, will always want to sin. And Paul testifies to this frustration in Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing them. All of us can relate to that. There was a North American Indian who was the first person to become a believer in his tribe. And so the younger Indians were quite interested in Christianity, and they asked him some questions. They said, how do you become a Christian? And so he happily shared the gospel with them. They'd never heard the gospel before. And then they kept talking a little bit, and then one of the other Indians said, well, what's it like to be a Christian? And the elderly Indian, because he was an older man, said this, I have two dogs in my heart. And they have two separate names. One is called purity. The other is impurity. And they are fighting with each other all the time. And another Indian asked, which dog is winning the fight? And he gave this answer, the best answer I have ever heard. He said, the dog that is winning the fight is the one that I feed the most. 
What are you feeding on every day? Remember Philippians 4, 8, and 9, meditate on all of these different things. The word, prayer, it's up to us to feed ourselves. There are three great teachers on this earth. You have the Bible, you have the Holy Spirit, and number three, you have you, because you will be the greatest teacher in your own life. Now, of course, we have pastors and teachers and many other aspects, but it is up to you to walk with Christ. Nobody can do it for you. So, so far we have these five points. Now, the last point I have no illustrations for. I'll give you two Bible verses. They speak for themselves. It's Christ the center. The two verses are Paul's testimony, and they're my testimony as well, and I pray that they will become your testimony. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not your faith, the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Does that characterize your life? And then Philippians 1.21, a very short verse. You're probably familiar with it. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that summarizes Paul's life. May it summarize ours as well. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your marvelous grace, which is new every morning. It never fails us. We fail you repeatedly. But you are always with us. You are strengthening us. You said, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. And so I thank you, Father, for each person that is here. Thank you for their love for you. I pray that you'd continue to bless that love. Help them to apply the wheel in their lives and help them to share it with others. Because it is such a classic way of describing discipleship. Thank you so much for my brother Jim. I pray that you'd continue to bless his ministry here and Lori and the elders and everyone else involved. In Jesus' holy name, amen. May God richly bless you.